right, welcome to another episode of The Light Bulb Factory, a conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. We are back again with another episode, ready to discuss Soul Culture, part three. How y'all doing today, guys? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing well. Ready to talk values. Values. Okay. All right. All right. So we've been uh, working through so far through the ingredients of the bread. We have, uh, we've hit beliefs so far. We have hit... Uh, Attitudes. Yes. And now we're going to get to uh, the third part, which is which is values. Mm. So uh, what do we need to know about values, Matt? Man, I think we ought to go back to chapter one. No one has the book. It's, it's only in our hearts and minds and on a few scraps of paper. Uh, but it's coming together. But in, in our chapter one, when we sort of highlighted and, and just listed out everything, uh, we made a statement about values related to corporate values because that's a it's a word that gets knocked around all the time. We talk about uh, the values of a law firm or the values of the business school or the values of this or the values of that. And, and so often our conversation about values in the church is impacted uh, by those forces. And so we wrote corporate jargon has co-opted the word values to the point that it often makes hair's eyes glaze over. Managerial consultants and marketing gurus often describe qualities like excellence and efficiency as values. Churches frequently adopt a shallow definition of values drawn from the corporate word salad. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That was great. Uh, we're, I'm proud of us on that one, Josh. That's a good good phrase. Um, and I think it is true that a lot of times when churches do a revisioning or, or go through that kind of process, uh, and they start talking about the, the core values of the church, I mean, things are adopted like, like um, innovation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, innovation for the sake of innovation— I mean, what is that, you know? Uh, so we're not talking about that type of thing where we just sit in a room with a with a whiteboard and a and a marker, yeah. and we try to think up some things that we think are are, are somewhat important. Uh, because a lot of times, those things that we would put on the paper uh, are not connected to the Word of God in its threefold sense. I mean, there is not linked to Christ and His kingdom not related to sacred scripture, not related to the faithful preaching and traditions of the church uh, since Pentecost. And so when we're talking about values, soul culture values, we're talking about something deeper and richer, and we're contrasting that with uh, worldly values that are just everywhere all around us, you know, and, and squeezing us and pressuring us. I have noticed that uh, that values can become an opportunity almost for like a branding session, you know? Yes. Of yes. like, uh, how can we put ourselves in the best light to make us the most appealing to a, uh, you know, sort of consumer audience almost, you know? There's, right. There's that sort of framework that can easily come in. Oh, know? I think that's true. You're exactly right. You know, a lot of times yeah. when, when churches talk about values, they're like, how can we package this? How can we shrink wrap this? How can we commodify this and sell it? Uh, to where people will uh, will will come, and I think that comes out of sort of an anxiety. You know, I think that that's born out of the myth of scarcity. Mm-hmm. That I think that comes from the notion that our biggest problem is lack of resources. Mm-hmm. And I think Andy Rue has been so great in emphasizing this. Our problem is not a lack of resources. Our our our, our biggest challenge is a lack of vitality. And and mm-hmm. you don't nurture vitality by just trying to market yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go deeper than that. You have to go higher. Mm-hmm. And so this conversation of values has to be taken to that deeper and higher plane. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to contrast it against what the the rest of the world views a, as values. Even even in the corporate world, I think there's a hunger for this uh, because yes. there's, there's just a, 
a weariness with that kind of values as marketing idea. Uh, BBC did a show a couple years ago. It's just a hilarious kind of send up of this. Uh, it's a kind of a faux documentary, like the office kind of thing, but about the BBC. They, oh, they were poking the fun at the themselves. old guy from Downton Abbey? Oh, Grantham was in that show? Yeah, the, uh, Hugh Bonneville, yeah, who's the, yeah, the lead actor yeah. from Downton Abbey, gets hired by the BBC uh, to be their director of values. <laughs> and it's this idea, you know, we're going to have a, a more just, welcoming, flourishing BBC. But he starts getting in these board meetings and finds out it's all it's all a marketing thing. Uh, there, there's a clip where he talks about uh, he's being interviewed. What, what, what's your place as head of values here? He says, uh, my job is to find out which values are most valuable <laughs> and how we might value valuing them more. <laughs> it, it, it's That's just great. so circular yeah, and self-referential. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think everybody in the corporate world feels that and is just exhausted by it. Well, yeah. self-referential is the right phrase, Josh, because um, I think the the best way to 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 wrap our minds around the the distinctness of Christian values or gospel values, kingdom values, uh, is to contrast it with worldly values. And so, in this chapter, we're using two words. Uh, the words are secreted and synchronized values. Secreted values and synchronized values. And I mean that those are kind of funky words, but I think, you know, if you if you give us a chance, uh they're they're helpful. It tripped up the editors as we were pitching the book. Oh, they're like yeah, they're secreting like, values. They're, we're they're, uncomfortable. They're with like, this. that just sounds gross. That just sounds weird. We don't know we want to deal with that. And that's the uh, point. That that is kind of the deal. And uh and it, that that phrase secreted values comes from John Paul Sart. Sartre was a, a philosopher. Uh, I mean, he he was the stereotypical philosopher. You know, in, in your mind, if you were thinking about, like, funky philosophers, it would be John Paul Sartre. If you went to Central Casting in, in Hollywood and say, send me out somebody that looks like a philosopher, they'd <laughs> send out John Paul Sartre. Not not like the people we know that are, are like, <laughs> from, you know, from university life. But those are, like, normal people who, like, right. you know, go to McDonald's and Little League and stuff like that. Well, well, John Paul Sartre was the guy who sat in the cafes in Paris, you know, and, and looked cool and smoked the cigarettes and all that. And he was he was one of the early proponents of existentialism, and he was an atheist. He did not believe in God, and uh, like Nietzsche before, he he believed that you know the 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 absence of God has profound consequences, uh, and one is that we've just got to take responsibility for our lives, and we have to own the fact that we do what we do because we want to do it. And that and that's moral and right. You know, Nietzsche was beyond good and evil, and and Sartre would you know to to a large measure agree with that. And when he talked about values, he said you have to really just own this. You you have to own this as as a category. You have to say this this comes from you. Uh, and he said man secretes his own nothingness. He said values like nothingness enter the world only through human beings through us, and we live like pigs if we don't acknowledge that we have introduced them and bear responsibility for acting on them. So instead of values coming from above, you know, coming from God, he said they come from, from us and they come out of us like sweat and tears. They, 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 they secrete out of us, and we have to take responsibility for them. And so a lot of times when people sit around in that boardroom, 
they're they're secreting their values and it's self-reverential yeah. and it and it comes back and uh and that's that's the kind of the way of the world you know that's kind of how it goes stands out to me uh Sartre's point here about about secreting is that we can't opt out from that within no. within his frame of reference that there is no god uh that's the only option we have we can't do any better so his argument is the best we can do is just be honest about it. Yes. Just be direct about it. I, I think it's so interesting. He says, uh, we live like pigs if we don't acknowledge what we're doing. Right. Uh, I don't know if this is what he had in mind or not, but as I read it, it jumped out to me. Pigs are the only animal besides humans that sweat. So it, it's almost like, I, I think he was deliberate in picking pigs there. Uh, yeah, that, pigs, you know, are, you're, pigs are something, aren't they? You're going to sweat one way or the other, at least be a person and, and be honest about it. <laughs> right, right. So is part of this acknowledging that we can come up with a list of aspirational values that we would like to be true of an organization like right. a church, you know? Right. But in reality, there's often a disconnect between what we say we want, you know, it to be all be about, and then in reality, what we are about, you know? It's like aspirational in reality. Yeah, it's, we... <laughs> it's secreting a way to kind of acknowledge that there th- that what comes out of us, reality is not always, you know... it. What we what we say we want to be well, true. Well, I think you know that's that's possibly one of the contributions of somebody like Sartre. You know, yeah. uh, is that there was a raw boned honesty about about some of this, and 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 there's a gift in all of these philosophers. We had a conversation Sunday night around the table about some of these things, and and one of our church members was there. He's an attorney. He's talking about corporate culture, and he says, you know, everybody's kind of weary about talking about firm culture. Because a lot of times you 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 say that these things that they're saying is not anywhere near close to who they are as a group, so so forth and so on. So, yeah, I think there is that aspect, um, but I think there's also this sort of humble acknowledgement as Christians that um, that we are called to a life that is outside of our of our everyday just touch taste hear, feel, experience that, that yes, in this world that we live, there's, there's a transcendent reality and that transcendent reality is God and that God and his grace comes into this imminent world, mm-hmm. uh, and calls us forward and calls us to follow and walk with him. And, um, and I think that is a real distinct part of what it means to be a Christian, to recognize that, you know, everything we feel and think and want is not holy and good. So we just can't be um, un- we just can't be unfiltered in our self affirmation, yeah. and even in our in the affirmations of what's going on in our collective groups. It's not just like, hey, you know, God doesn't make any junk. Of course, He doesn't. You know. Uh, there is a cre- there is a creational theology that says God said it was good and good and very good. But we also have to have a doctrine of sin that says you know we we as individuals and and corporate entities have fallen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so a lot of the things that we desire to do and Scripture talks about this many 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 places. A lot of things that we desire to do, the thing sometimes the things that we really value and place a high priority on are not things that are good for us, those around us, that bring honor and glory to God. Um, and so Sarge just says, hey, there's no morality. What you do is what you do. The best you can do is be honest about it. 
And and so Christ, some Christians have bought into this and say, hey, man, you know, let's, let's just be authentic. Well, authenticity is not a uh, synonym for wholeness <laughs> or holiness in Scripture, uh, you know, and God is at work, and He's He's transforming people, and He transforms us by by impacting and affecting and changing our desires. Uh, he works in us both to will and to do, you know, uh, and so He wants to shape our values, what we place the highest priorities on. Uh, this Jesus was talking about this in Matthew six. You know, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't store up your for yourselves treasures on the earth where. The moths eat it, and the rust, and people steal it. Place your, you know, their highest values in in God. Find your highest mm-hmm. values in God, as God makes Himself known. As God has revealed Himself and and called us to follow. So, you know, I think that the whole deal. Ben Harper wrote a song, and then there was a line in it that said, "Make sure the fortune you seek is the fortune that you need." And so, everybody has values. Everybody values things and chases after things. Um. And I think it's important for us just as, a, as, as people to think, is that which I'm chasing after, is that really what I was made for? Right. Is that really what I need? Uh, is, is life really found there? And uh, when you get into values questions, both individually and corporately for a church, that's a lot of times where the rubber meets the road and where, where God transforms a person or a group. We're saying like the things we're spending our money on and our time on and our and our passions on, man, this is not this is not where we ought to be putting all of our our value. You know, it's not where we, our price tags had been all jumbled up. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're valuing the wrong things. So, what does God want us to value, and what's He placed within us? And, um, and that's I think that's the deal. I think that gets at some of the heart of the issue that f- for all that existentialism. There's a there's a triumphalist kind of version of existentialism of you make yourself, you declare who you're going to be, you you decide who your authentic self is. Where Sartre and the gospel do agree is that our values are going to come from somewhere yeah. outside of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with that atheistic notion of secreted values, uh, kind of the analogy of sweat, we don't choose to sweat. Uh, yeah. That's something we do in response to what's happening yeah. around us. Yeah. And if if we don't have the Spirit of Christ in us directing our values, we're just going to kind of respond to the yeah. stimuli of the environment. Well, that's the real trick. A lot of times when we think uh, in this very heroic way, you know, I'm making my way in the world. Uh, I'm I'm, exp- I'm I'm spread. I'm expressing my individuality. We think we're taking responsibility for our choices and just being authentic and being ourselves. But man, what's really happening is we're succumbing to a lot of pressures around us, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know Foucault would talk about that, and mm-hmm. others, you know that that we dwell. And this, this was Charles Taylor's Charles Taylor's word, a social imaginary, where there's all of these forces at work that make things make sense to us. You know that they uh, we almost respond to things intuitively about right and wrong based on. All the the pressures that are that are around us, um, Foucault had a version of this. Peter Berger had a version of this. All these people who observe human behavior have a version of this thing that just says there's a lot of forces that make people think they're making decisions, but what they're really doing is reflecting the pressures around them. Right. You know, uh, Robert Robert Barron's a Catholic bishop, and he said, 
uh, he said, we're kind of downstream from this. That this this is at work in culture for a long, long time, and then it becomes like the point tips, and then it becomes like the spirit of the age. And he said, what used to be whispered about in the cafes of Paris is now the default position of the American teenager. You know, several years ago, it would be unthinkable to think what most teenagers think is just for certain truth <laughs> every single day of our life. And, uh, you know, there's all these these social commentators who, who make these observations. Paul just said it was the pattern of this world. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't be squeezed into the pattern of this world. And uh, so the alternative to that, those those secretive values, is, is what we're calling synchronized values. And that uh, synchronized to arise at the same time. Synchronized values are values that are aligned with uh, the values that are revealed uh, by God in Christ, Holy Scripture. Uh, P.T. Forsythe said, this was a long time ago, if within us we find nothing over us, we, we succumb to that which is around us. So um, the way it works is that God works to transform us from the inside out mm-hmm. uh, with, these, with these alien values that come from Him. And, you know, our life is... Is, is most lived, is the best life we can live. It's when our values sync up, align with, or synchronize with the values of Christ. Very good. So this is, uh, so is it fair to say that we're, we're sort of seeing secreted in a negative light and synchronized in a positive light? Yes, is, is I think right? very okay. much that would be the way. I, I, would, I, would, I would just say secreted could be analogous to self-driven or self-generated or society-driven or society-generated. Uh, this, is, this is the values we would generate in our alienation yeah. from God. Yeah. So secreted is the way that we will naturally live just going with the flow of life, you know, um, because of the way that we're being shaped and formed just by living as, you know, Americans here in Waco, for example, you know. Um, Which does not mean that every secretive value in and of itself is a bad thing. Right. Uh, It typically is not. Right. Uh, Most of the time it's something that's disordered or out of whack. For instance, like like shelter, food, clothes, uh, sexual drive, these things... Christians believe we're, we're given to us by God because these are basic. They're things. good. They're, they're good. Gifts, I mean, this you know, is these yeah. are good things. All that stuff in the in the creation narratives. You know, these are the. I mean, there were trees in the garden that were there just because they were beautiful to look at. Right. You know, pleasure is a gift from God. All this kind of stuff. Uh, so so the desire for these things is not a bad desire, provided it's not the ultimate desire. Right. You know, Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God." And his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, like there, there are basic goods that uh, are penultimate that seem very ultimate because if you don't have them, you die. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. But the the message of scripture is a radical message, and so the message of scripture says, "We don't live by bread alone. Well, without bread, we die. But we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth." Of God, you know, there's there are realities that we need more than oxygen, right? Uh, and those realities are divine realities. That is grace. That is the work of God in, in our life. That's the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom doesn't push out all these other things. It just puts these other things in their right in their right place in their right order. Mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say that maybe a synonym for how we're talking about values, we could we could talk about priorities. 
Sure, yes. I think this is one of those areas where if you put all these ingredients together, uh, but you put them together in a diagram form, there's a whole lot of overlap between goals and values. Yeah. So, um, you know, seeking the kingdom, that is, that is the ultimate goal, you know, mm-hmm. to pursue the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, that's your greatest value. I, I, I do this. This is, this is what I put as my priority goal because this is what I value the highest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're twins. Goals are kind of the sort of operationalizing yeah. of the values. Right, right, right. I would say, you know, goals are, uh, goals are the steering wheel, maybe, and, uh, and values are the combustion engine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that might break down, but uh, they're, they're not synonymous, but they're very, they're very closely linked, and they can't live without one another. But now we're veering into next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's the whole deal. I mean, all these things have to work together. Uh, so you have, so you have uh, secretive values, you know, worldly values. This is, you know, this, the innovation for the sake of innovation is, is an example. You have, uh, you have synchronized values. We're going to follow the way of Christ. Uh, the biblical image is walking with God, you know, or walking with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, you won't gratify all these things that look like a Twitter thread. You know, all of these, all of these worldly values that are so dangerous and toxic. Um, so we walk with God and synchronize values. But you know, as Christians, um, we want to know how it fleshes out and how does that work. We say, okay, I'm committed to that. What does it look like? Um, you know, I think if you go back to that Sermon on the Mount text. Jesus kind of gives you some just windows into what what uh, is involved in this life of, of of values that are synchronized with the Father's, with His, um, and there's a sense of God's presence. Uh, when when Jesus talked about the eye, he he said, you know, if the eye is good, there will be light. If the eye is bad, you know, all that he talked he talked about the eye. One way to talk about the eye is to talk about a single eye. And Dr. Garland talked about that in his commentary on Matthew. He said, you know, it is one thing to be in the dark. It's another thing for the darkness to be in you. And when we have a relationship with Christ, we believe that the light has come into us, that the life of God has come into us. And through, through his work in us and coming out of us, our light very literally can shine uh, in the world, and and we live out His values through His presence. Um, Bob Dylan kind of had the backward side of this. He wrote a song called "False Prophet," and in that he had this guy saying, "I know how it happened. I saw it begin. I opened my heart to the world, and the world came in." So I mean, the world is coming into our life. You know, from the time we were the the smallest. And, uh, and, and pressuring us and, and pushing us and pulling us away from the, from the values of the kingdom. Uh, but in, in God's saving mercy, uh, we open our heart to the light and the light comes in. We open our heart to the Lord and the Lord comes in. And that the indwelling presence of God is, is, a key, is probably the key thing to living out synchronized values. And with that comes the peace of Christ. 
Uh, it's knowing that there is a hope for the future. It's knowing that in the present realities, even if they're very difficult, uh, all manner of things shall be well. And, and I'm never leaving. I'm, I'm not forsaken. And this gives great, great richness to life. And, and there's also the sense of, of uh, provision, just this a life of faith. It says, if we seek first the kingdom of God, God will provide for those things, us with those things that we need for life and godliness. That this is a promise of the Lord, uh, and we can lean into that. And that sucks some of the anxiety out of out of church life, and it lets us pursue the things that really matter um, in our own personal lives. It takes some of that 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 anxiety out, and and lets us pursue the things that really matter. And that's ultimately what uh, synchronized values are about. It's about pursuing the things that ultimately and really matter. So I guess to to bring this to a local church context, uh, is there value in a church identifying values? You know, uh, we kind of started out with that at the beginning. Is is that helpful? And if so, uh, what's a helpful way to to go about yeah. that process? Oh, I think very much so. Yeah. Um, I think I think though that they have to be rooted, mm-hmm. deeply rooted, in the faith once delivered. You know, they have to be rooted in the revelation of God in Christ. There's a great story by Leonard Sweet, and, and you know, Sweet is known as a futurist and a visionary and all this kind of stuff. Uh, our friend Jamie McCallum studied with him uh, up in Portland. And, uh, and, and Sweet shocked a guy one time. He was a Methodist leader, and this leader was prone to asking, like, hey, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? And, and he caught Sweet going up an elevator one day. And he said, Sweet, what's your vision? And, uh, and and Leonard Sweet said, Bishop, I don't have a vision. He said, I don't. And the guy was incredulous. He was upset. No, you're a futurist. You're 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 known as a visionary. You're famous for that. You don't have a vision. He says, I'm a I'm a follower first. I'm a follower. He said, I grew up singing, "Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart." And he said, before we we can we can live a life uh, that is visionary, you have to be people that follow. And I think that's the order. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I think churches have to ask themselves, uh, who is God and, and what, is, what is God doing in our midst? What is this community that we're in? What's unique about our community and this church? Um, and out of, our, out of this life that God has bubbled in us, uh, what, shall, what shall we pursue? You know, a lot of times when we think, well, what are the values of the church? We're really talking about what are your plans? You know, and our value, God has given to every church the same basic cluster of values. Uh, they're around fruitfulness related to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you can tease it out in certain ways, but I would be real hesitant to have a, a just an open planning session with, with open pages and pens and say, okay, figure out your values. Mm-hmm. Um, that just seems a real kind of wonky way to go about it. I think it's got to be discerned over... Over a stretch of time, and and really rooted in those core elements of the gospel. Without that, it can very quickly veer into just kind of slogans. Uh, we can get back to that word salad idea, and and because I think we're all vulnerable to self deception. I, I think most churches I see that that list kind of their cardinal values, or here here's our eight identifying values. Well, you see all these kind of lists. 
they do tend to be more aspirational than actual in my in my experience. And that's not bad. I think I think it's good to have things that we aspire good. to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but that sounds like goals. <laughs> those are goals. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. I think we need to have that, but but along with that, maybe even prior to it, we need to identify what what do we actually value? What what are the things that we really treasure here as a congregation? Yeah. And and hold the light of the gospel up to that and say, sure. you know, uh, some of these are Christ honoring and, and birthed in us by the Spirit of God. Uh, some of it is habit and old clutter from the attic. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, then once you've identified the actual values and the aspirational values, you can start seeing the, the disconnect between them and, and moving them closer right. toward one another. Yeah, and that's the shaping function. That is, that's the, that's need. the working the dough, that's the working the dough function. My, my grandmother, my, my maternal grandmother, we called her grand Jerry Fleming. She was a hoot. Uh, writing this chapter was really touching to me because, uh, if I went back to the sermon series, this was the Sunday that we came mm. back into the sanctuary mm. after being out for so long. Mm. And, uh, had to go back and double check that this morning, but it was that Sunday, which was one of the most emotional Sundays I've had as a pastor. I've had quite a few. It's a top fiver with no question. Uh, and also that Sunday, I had just come back. I took a really fast, quick trip to Meridian. Uh, we buried my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so we went and did the funeral service for my grandmother. And she was just a great pillar in my life, uh, just wonder, wonderful lady. And she'd really struggled at the end, and, and COVID was hard on her. It, it disoriented her. It was, it was awful. And so it was, uh, this Sunday when I preached this message, or a version of this message for the first time, it was very, very, um, very, very tender to me. Uh, but uh, during her funeral sermon, I told a story. When, when I was little, I spent a lot of time with Grand. And one, one week, she took me down to PV Melody Music. Hartley PV was from Meridian, Mississippi. There was a little music shop, his, his family. And uh, she bought a ukulele for me. Uh, and uh, I fake played the ukulele when I was a little guy as she just tore up a piano. She played totally by ear, da 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 and, and one week, she said, hey, Matt, you want to write a song? I said, sure, Grant, let's write a song, you know, anything to keep me occupied. And, uh, and so she started playing and, and she made up some, some chords and some, some stuff. I don't, I don't know. And I just fake played my ukulele and then she was, okay, we're gonna write the lyrics. This was not great poetry. I think I knew it as a small child. This was a great poetry, but I'll, I've never forgotten. And I've forgotten a lot of great poetry. Uh, but she said, I know a secret too good to be true. And if you let me, I'll share it with you. Rainbows and moonbeams will carry us through. That is the secret I'm sharing with you. Hmm. Now, that's not good poetry. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. And and she knew it. it was, she was just riffing. She's just wasting time with a kid. Mm-hmm. But there was something kind of deep down in her, you know, that came out in that bad poetry. And Because uh, if you analyze it, I mean, what is a, what's a rainbow? It's a symbol of the promise of God. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you go back to the Noetic Covenant. It's a symbol of the promise of God. Uh, and it's been used in all kinds of different ways, but it's original imagery. It was this image of, of a God that makes promises and covenants and keeps them. And moon, what's a moon? What's a moonbeam? You know, it's a reflection of the sun. And so she said, okay, this is the secret to life. It's, it's the rainbow and the moonbeam. It's, it's the promise and, and, and the action of reflecting. And... Um, I think that was just deep in her bones, you know, and it came out with a little kid. 
And when we're talking about all this stuff, you know, that's what we've got. We've got a God who is a God who reveals himself and, and judges and redeems and makes promises and keeps them. So our values have to be driven by that truth. And our values have to be reflective values. I mean, the moon just doesn't shine. Uh, the moon reflects the sun. And, uh, and we are to let a light shine, but, you know, it's not our light. It's our light uh, it, it, to the degree that our values have synchronized with the values of the Lord. And, um, and that's a huge weighty, weighty thing. And, and, man, we can go off. And so we, we've identified a couple of places where churches get, get, it, get it wrong. And uh, this may be a whole other episode. I don't know if we got time for it. But, you know, I mean, sometimes people intentionally uh, twist the values of the church to take advantage of the people. I mean, you have that in Jude. You have that in Second Peter. Sometimes uh, there's a sort of a mixture of things. And, and Josh has done a good job of talking about this where the, um, I mean, just, just talk about that, about disordered values for a second. Well, within, as we talk about culture, uh, we got to think about kind of some concentric circles. We're talking principally about the culture of a local church congregation, but every local church congregation exists within a wider culture. Right. And that wider culture has its own kind of collective values that are going to be our default position until we let the gospel shape them. Right. And so you can look all through the history of the church and see uh, where this has gone awry. Our, our friend Steve Besner has done a lot of work talking about church in Germany in the 1930s and, and how, by and large, they just missed some things. Yeah. And and the awful tragedy that, that grew out of that uh, we're not immune from that in our own setting. Uh, yeah. Church in America has a very troubling history with race. Uh, yeah. J.B. Gambrell, who gave us kind of the, the guiding metaphor for our book of working that batch of dough, uh, he fell prey to some of the cultural values of his time and directly contributed to yeah. some of them to perpetuating uh, some awful ideas about race that have nothing to do with the gospel of yeah. Christ. And so uh, it's a it's a sobering reminder uh, that none of us are immune from this, and, and we all have to continually reappraise and reevaluate our values uh, to to test them by the light of Scripture and by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes this happens through deliberate distortion, people uh, people corrupting these things to their own ends. Uh, sometimes it just happens because we are swimming in that water, yep. and and the river that we swim in. Is a muddy one and a dirty one. There's a lot of debris. And the river is the right image because, you know, from time to time, uh, the gospel and God's people will affect a culture in such a way that a portion of it will get better. And so then the larger larger society begins to reflect more accurately uh, something of the values of Christ in a certain area and then get way off on the other. So you, you start looking like race, gender, sexuality, all these kind of things. Well, it's not a fixed thing if the if the culture is going to align with the with the kingdom. Uh, th- it's moves, and it's like playing whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it looks good, sometimes it looks bad. But you know, the gospel and the the way of the kingdom comes in in both in both judgment and redemption, and, and all of that. And we've come a long tricky. way from Gambrel's day on some issues. 
and totally on other things we've come a long, stuff out. a long way in a very bad direction it just totally blown stuff out and so uh it's not it's not like the zeitgeist is is the holy spirit you know that that's not the deal at all and uh so that's a second way that we can get it wrong as the church and that's a profoundly important way uh, and the third way is just we sort of domesticate Jesus and and the, and the church and the gospel and, and try to and turn the Lord into our mascot. You know, uh, I think this is one of the dangers in this addiction to innovation is that uh, that becomes our ultimate value, just doing something fresh and new and different, um, and and that gets that gets funky in a hurry. Andy Root has written very careful analysis about this idea of innovation and and uh, and how sort of a, a it as a default is is dangerous for the church. Uh, but before Andy Root, there was King of the Hill, one of my favorite cartoons. You ever watched King of the Hill, Ryan? No, I never did. No, oh. I'm familiar with it though. Dude, yeah. King of the Hill is great. I mean, it's suburban Texas, Arlen, Texas, which is Garland, Texas. Uh, Hank Hill sells propane and propane accessories. He lives with Peg, his wife. The Ladybird is their dog, and and Bobby, Bobby is their son. And uh, you know they have a, a pretty normal life in suburban Texas. They're they're really active in their little Methodist church and uh, go all the time. And you know Bobby's a Sunday school kid and all that. And well, Bobby kind of gets um, in in one episode in what season two season uh, season eight season eight episode two <laughs> season eight episode two. I was only off by six seasons. But uh, so in this in this episode, it's called "Reborn to Be Wild." Uh, Bobby Bobby gets sort of bored with his church, you know. He he sort of gets a little fidgety about about. He ends up in one of those Birmingham youth groups. He does. He ends up in one of those those youth groups and with a with a pastor named uh, Pastor K. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're somewhere when your pastor just got a a, a letter. And, and old Pastor K, you know, they'll do anything to get a crowd. You know, you know, vulgar T-shirts for the Lord and all that. And and Bobby's all in, man. He is all in. He's all in on the stuff. He's a, he's like, I can't wait till I can be tattooed for the Lord. You know, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with tattoos. I'm not I'm not giving grief there. But, but Bobby's just like everything that's new and flashy. I want. I want it. I want it really bad. And uh, and Hank is troubled by this. I mean, his dad's just like, dude. I don't. Know, this is this is going a little too far. I don't know. I can't tell what they're doing. And um, and it's like there's a dude over there look like he was smoking weed, and I think he had some kind of like incense. He goes, oh, no, he's not smoking weed. He's praying or whatever. <laughs> so Hank's like, all right, let's, let's go, Bobby. So he takes Bobby. Bobby's all mad that he's he's taking him out of this deal, and they, they go sit around the house out by the garage. He said, Bobby, come here. Let me show you something. So he gets this box off the shelf, and he says, okay, Bobby. He goes, Look at this. This is your, your beanie baby. He goes, oh, I remember that when I was five. I was such a dork. He goes, you didn't think you were a dork when you were five. You thought that was cool or whatever. You know, a few years ago, you thought that was great. And he's like, here's your, here's your, uh, your alive thing. You know, it's one of those little gizmos that you have to like feed and keep alive. Remember that okay, toy? Yeah. Ta- Tamagotchi. Yeah. Tamagotchi. He goes, okay. he goes, man, you remember that? He goes, oh, I love that thing. Is Bobby, you carried that thing with you everywhere until you forgot to feed it and died and it went in the box. And he go and he just kept pulling stuff out. And he said, he said, Bobby, here's the thing, man. He said, because I just don't want. And he gets kind of nervous talking about it because he's about to say something really serious. And and in series, whenever Hank is about to say something really profound, he starts going, uh, 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 uh. he's like, uh, I just don't want the Lord to end up in the uh box. Mm-hmm. And Bobby goes, I get you, Dad. I get you. And um, 
And that's kind of how it closes out. It's very tough. I mean, it's not you. You're surprised when when just a secular TV show kind of gets it at that level, you know, at that yeah. at that depth. That uh, Jesus is not just something else that, d- that should wind up in a box someplace, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times in church, I mean, we're content to have a flash in the pan and something that's you know everybody's running after. Uh, we're content for that to to be placed in a box, and we have to get something else. Um, and I think that's a that's a values issue. I think that's a that's a values issue, and um, I'm afraid we just get caught in that cycle. Yeah, very good. Well, this is uh this has been a helpful sort of run at uh, the third ingredient in our bread making process here, and we've got two more that will uh, will fit in as well. I suspect when we get to practices, one thing that I've um, that I've noticed is that uh, practices often reveal what our values really are, you know? Absolutely. Um, they sort of uh, reveal that gap between the aspiration and the reality. And so I think, imagine we'll circle back to this uh, just later on and with goals as well. So, all right. Well, thank you all for listening in today. Thanks, uh, Ryan. And uh, it's been a good discussion, and we'll be back next week with part number four. All right. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Adios. Adios.